Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Central one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This is episode 6, 2023. Today, I'm talking to ABC commissioning editor Stephen Oliver about all things better date than ever, and we might even have a moment to discuss some other upcoming specials and series. Well, an award-winning filmmaker, Stephen has brought expertise in both high-end program making and game-changing impact campaigns to his commissioning role at the ABC with great success. Currently manager of documentaries at the ABC, Stephen oversees many of the national broadcaster's biggest hits, including, well, what we're talking about today, Better Date Than Ever, Love on the Spectrum, Southern Ocean Live, Big Deal, um, Fight for Planet A, War and Waste, Big Weather, Family Court Murders, and People's Republic of Bellacuda. Stephen is passionate about telling stories with real uh, world impact and has headed up several groundbreaking shows around climate and the environment for the ABC. He believes in the power of storytelling to change the world and is always looking for talent, innovation, and boldness to jump off the screen and into people's homes. Well, isn't that fantastic? Stephen Oliver, thank you for joining me here at TV Central. Hi, Aaron. Good to be here. Well, let's start with a bit of education about your role at the ABC. What exactly does a commissioning editor uh, do in day in and day out? Good question. I mean, commissioning editor is a bit of an industry term, isn't it? It's basically, I'm just, it's a privileged type of job, really. I'm one of the people uh, in our team at the ABC that helps decide which of the ideas for documentaries and factual programs we end up funding and commissioning and um putting on air for the ABC. So we get a lot of ideas that come through from independent producers. So I kind of work in the factual and culture department and within that in kind of documentary and factual TV content and um, and digital content increasingly as well um, across other platforms. But mostly we work with independent producers who make shows outside the ABC for us. So we commission them, we give them what's called a license fee and they make the film under our kind of editorial guidance and supervision. So it's a it's a really fantastic, lucky job. It comes from, um, you know, I come from a filmmaking background, so I have spent many years, 20 years or so, pitching my ideas to people like uh, me, people who were doing the <laughs> job before me at the ABC and other broadcasters. So uh, it's a kind of really interesting poacher-turned gamekeeper type of role where instead of being the one trying to drum up ideas and pitching them, I'm now listening to the ideas and helping decide which ones we, we make. And, you know, that's a big responsibility when you're dealing with taxpayers' money, which is what the ABC has to spend. So we're not in, we're not in the business of making content to... Um, you know, on the back of advertisers who want to kind of put their products on our on network. We just have a budget in the government and we decide how best to spend it. So it's a responsibility and a privilege, but it's really rewarding and really fun. Is there anything that comes to mind straight away with shows that uh, I'm talking about either way, either that you commissioned and then it just didn't turn out the way that you thought it was or wasn't as successful or the other way around that you sort of passed on a project and it went somewhere else and and was successful somewhere else oh it's a good question i mean you obviously don't we don't have a hundred percent hit rate and nor does anybody otherwise you'd be kind of like a you know billionaire um but obviously you learn from experience what shows you think will resonate and what shows won't i mean for example better date than never a fantastic new dating show that we're doing 
came from the makers of Love on the Spectrum. Uh, and that was a really fantastically successful show about dating that's done in the ABC style. So, you, you know, when they came along with the Better Date Than Never idea, which was to do dating for people not just on the autism spectrum, but all walks of life, people who've just had no dating experience or very limited dating experience for a variety of reasons, you know that it's an informed decision that that's a show that's going to work. It's made by really experienced and talented filmmakers who have had successful shows on the ABC before and the style of the show like is similar to Love on the Spectrum so you know there's an audience out there so a lot of your decisions are not sort of stabs in the dark you know the who is making it or pitching it is almost as important as the what is the idea because there can be a fantastic idea but if you don't have the skills or the ability to execute that idea it's almost worthless so um, yeah, there are shows that have worked better than others. I think that's completely normal. And we're always, you know, finding those shows that have public value. That's a really important thing for the ABC. It's not only about ratings. I guess that's what I was referencing with other commercial networks where they have to sell advertising space. So the ratings are kind of the be all and end all. For us, that isn't the case. We obviously want people to watch. So ratings are very important. But we also want to make shows that have public value, that make a contribution to the cultural life of the country. So, um, you know, you get some of those right, you get some of those wrong. Sometimes that means that uh, you get a smaller audience, but the audience that has come to the show is more committed and more passionate and are really, really uh, into what you're doing. And that's really valuable as well. So, yeah, there are some shows that have worked better than others, um, but uh, it's, a, it's a constant sort of work in pro progress. We like to think we're kind of motivated by the numbers and the data, but we're not married to them. You know, we're not married to the data. We're just motivated by it because there are other considerations that come in. So um, sometimes you put a show on at the wrong time of year or it gets swamped by some other channel that's got a huge, one of their huge kind of juggernaut reality shows that just sort of is dominating the airwaves so it you know timing of when the show goes out is uh is also really important so there's a whole load of things that go into those decisions and you get some right and you get some wrong yeah so this position that you do the commissioning editor job what path led you to this position where were your passions before this that actually led you to this role um, well, as I said, I was a filmmaker and I was trying to tell stories that I guess I'm now looking to commission stories that do have a public value that make a contribution that are both entertaining and um, educational, but they don't feel like homework. They're not preachy. They're not telling you what to think. They're just hopefully leaving you with thoughts and interesting insights that then sort of spark you to go off and do your own you know think about things <clears throat> in perhaps a new way so I was making films I had kind of two strings to my bow as a filmmaker I was making kind of comedic documentaries that were kind of humorous and funny but were sort of insightful often about pop culture I made a film about Skippy the bush kangaroo called <laughs> Skippy Australia's first superstar which kind of showed that that was the first image of Australia that went overseas you know properly in the 60s certainly in the era of, of media um, and that the effect that had on the Australian film industry and the image of Australia that was portrayed and it was sold in 300 territories and was an enormous success. And then I did one on um, the history of Australian wine, for example, called Chateau Chanda, a wine revolution. <laughs> and that was about how Australian wine went from being the laughing stock of the world. So, you know, Monty Python did the sketch Chateau Chanda. 
um, to becoming the most sold wine in the world and incredibly successful and a really big part of our industry. So that those are documentaries that I told with kind of humor and comedy as a style. And then I kind of got really into telling environmental stories. I got pretty passionate about trying to communicate climate change in a clear and non-fear-mongering, non-politicizing way and what we can all do to be part of it, including, you know, what what we can do at home in terms of our food. I did a show called What's the Catch about seafood and how we keep eating the same species, but we don't even know about it. And sometimes you buy fish and chips and it's you don't even know what species it is. And it could be an endangered species of, of shark if it's sold as flake. So I kind of got into these kind of documentaries where you empower the audience with knowledge that they can then go out and feel good about making some changes perhaps in their behavior. So impact campaigns became a really big part. Like you make, you tell a story, you move people emotionally with the storytelling, yeah. but what does it, what does that actually do once people have been moved? What can they do about it? If you provide them with things that they can do, organizations they can join, you know, like I think we try and make, you know, instead of Netflix and chill, we like to say ABC and act, you know, you watch the ABC, a show like, um, fight for planet a for example or war on waste and you actually have some tools that you could use to galvanize your community to change behavior to reduce your waste to reduce your carbon emissions um whatever you whatever it is it's sort of empowering people to you know hopefully think a bit differently about protecting our planet and living yeah. a life that's more sustainable and better for everyone wow well, let's um, jump into Better Date Than Never now. Um, let me ask you first, did, did this come out organically as the next project after Love on the Spectrum? As in, like, did, did the Spectrum success dictate a discussion on what the next project would be? Or would we, would we, would we be seeing Better Date Than Never anyway? Good question. Um, it's almost impossible to answer that because, you know, would we have seen Better Date Than Never anyway? Uh maybe not i mean it came it did come from discussions after doing two seasons of love on the spectrum that 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 northern pictures the production company made for us both were extremely successful uh we felt we'd really tapped into something around the tone of the show the kind of warm inclusive um supportive uh but not kind of too earnest tone of love on the spectrum where it was funny in a way that you laugh with the participants but not at them and that was a really important thing that we wanted to talk to northern pictures about how we could continue that or to the autism spectrum disorder that were was the sort of focus of love on the spectrum you know the the, the cast of participants that we could uh, using that show who wanted to be part of it it's a naturally a very shallow pool so we wanted to kind of deepen that pool of potential participants and so we thought well if it's for people that haven't had much experience in dating for a variety of reasons then maybe that gives us a lot more choice and we could be even more inclusive and I think that's the really important thing about both love on the spectrum and better date than never is it's a dating show but a dating with a difference very different to the kind of dating shows you see on all the other networks because it's putting people on tv that you don't normally see that are underrepresented and that's how it chimes with the abc's values if you like it is of public value because it's inclusive because it's genuinely diverse because we're hearing from people who often are not cast in the kind of 
you know, Maths and Love Island and Big Brother and shows like that where, you know, you want often there are hot, white, cisgendered, confident people who are, you know, all about mm. being an extrovert. Look at me, look at me. This is a very different approach. And I think that's one of the sort of secrets of its success is it genuinely feels different in that it's that you want the characters to succeed you really want to support them there's no kind of uh wanting them to be exposed as liars or or vain or narcissists or you know like that's the sort of driving thing behind watching some of those other dating shows and this is all about wanting them to succeed it taps into the other the good part of our brain rather than the negative part of our brain and i think that's really refreshing people have really responded to that it's a it's a really positive you know the the comments on social media are almost universally almost without exception and i think it's quite unusual on social media to yeah. be supportive and to be um hoping that they do well and to be you know it it's it triggers the good part in our soul well two of the six episodes have aired on abc at the time of this podcast but all episodes are available on on iview now um so for people that haven't watched it, can you tell me about some of the challenges facing some of the participants in this series? Because it's it's not um, an autism thing, as in love, love on the spectrum. Yeah, um, we've got a variety of um, participants. They've all got their own particular um, issues that they're facing uh, that they haven't had any sort of experience dating for reasons such as... Um, Olivia has Down syndrome, so she hasn't found somebody that, you know, that she finds uh, is compatible with her. She's an extremely outgoing, confident person. But, you know, with Down syndrome, you do look and sound different to a lot of normal people. So that makes dating quite difficult. So Olivia is a fantastic character. She, um, her dating journey that you'll watch in Better Date Than Ever mm. is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know you've seen some of it, Aaron, already, yeah, right? It's just, absolutely. just fantastic where that story goes. Um, one of my other favourite characters is Diane, who is a sort of middle-aged or even a bit older than middle-aged woman who lives in regional New South Wales and works as a farmer. She has her own farm. So living as a sort of middle-aged or, you know, she's probably in her 60s, um, trans woman, in regional Australia, it's very, very difficult for her to find a partner. So she's just never been able to find somebody compatible. And I think um, watching her embark on her dating journey as Diane is extremely rewarding and moving. And I think she'll be an incredible ambassador for trans people uh, and beyond. She's just a wonderful, warm character. Then there's Charles, who is... Um, uh, originally from China, he's a student who's been out here for a, for a few years who has realised that he's gay and um, hasn't had any experience. And he has this wonderful scene where he meets a, a dating coach that specialises mm -hmm. in LGBTQI plus um, coaching of dating in that arena. And it's just such a fantastic thing how Charles has these stereotypes about what being gay is, he thought is supposed mm -hmm. to be. And then what he comes to realize it can be which is being yourself it's a really moving and beautiful story and his nerves and his kind of anxiety around his first ever date with a same-sex person is just beautiful to watch and he's just so authentic and honest that i think the the nation's going to fall in love with charles and they already are it seems from the first two episodes that have been 
broadcast. So that's Charles. And then there's also um, Navali, who is a wonderful uh, woman, young woman, beautifully talented musician who just suffers from extreme social anxiety. She just can barely leave the house without things feeling overwhelming. And so the idea of going out on a first date for her is extremely nerve-wracking and traumatic. And so watching her overcome those uh, incredible nerves and her, the fear of almost everything outside of her house with the wonderful support of her family uh, is, is just so beautiful to see people like stepping up. And that's why you want them to do well. These are the underdogs. They're often vulnerable in, in some situations. So I think people seeing those kind of characters on screen, being brave, taking these steps. And I think it's really obvious that the filmmakers behind Better Date Than Never are incredibly supportive. They're incredibly nurturing. The duty of care that we uh, go to to make sure that they feel safe, they feel supported, they feel that this is not an exploitation of their situation. And it's a true representation of who they are and why they have had no dating experience so far is it really comes through on screen you can see that there's trust and um that's in large part yeah. due to the processes that northern pictures put put in and and the talent of director kian o'cleary who's just developed a fantastic way of building trust with this kind of participant and it really comes through on screen and allows allows us to film these really personal and intimate moments in a way that doesn't feel salacious or exploitative it feels like you're there as a support network, not there as a voyeur, and I think that's a crucial difference. Uh, and it really, it really does, it really does work. I almost don't want to pick out a favourite, but you did, you did mention someone in there, um, the participants in the show, and that's Charles. He, he's adorable, but he's actually really witty as well, isn't he? I mean, he's very nervous during his dates, but when he's actually speaking to camera um, and with the relationship expert, he's very, very witty guy, isn't he? Oh, Charles is extraordinary. I mean, there is this one line that I just think is actually astonishing where, you know, he it faces up to a situation that didn't go particularly well for him and he's asked how he feels about it. And he responds after a long, thoughtful pause. I won't, maybe I won't, maybe I won't give it away because you've got to watch it. But the line he comes out with in response to, you know, a challenge is just, I don't believe any drama script writer could come out with a better line. It's the most beautiful, thoughtful, yeah. optimistic, but kind of, uh, re I don't know, like, um, I don't know how to describe it apart from it's something that only someone like Charles could come out with. He's just so authentic. I think that's the thing. He, there is nothing fake about Charles. He is somebody who is doing his best. And, um, and you see, you see, you see that, you see that authenticity, that sheer honesty. And I've met him in person, had the benefit of meeting him in person when he came in to do some publicity interviews at the ABC. And he's just exactly the same, of course, as he is, as you see him. He is just so mm. kind and thoughtful and loyal. So I think people are going to absolutely love watching Charles as he goes on his dating journey. And also, he he doesn't he doesn't have that kind of um, he he's nervous and he's he's sort of worried, but and that manifests in some quite strange outbursts that he then acknowledges himself. 
He comes out with some questions when he's had his coaching from his coach about what to say on a first date just so that he can have some pointers. And he sort of goes off script and comes out with some sort of really strange questions that he then kind of acknowledges. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I asked that question. But he's prepared to have that kind of, that kind of inner monologue on screen in a way that other dating shows never have. You never hear them actually reflect on things they did wrong or could have done better. It's all about putting up that front. And I think that that armour, there's no armour there. It's all honesty and authenticity. And I think that's a really beautiful and rare thing to see on TV. Oh, for sure. Um, can I ask you about the the people um, they actually date? Um, where are they sourced? How did you find these people to match with the participants? And, and what did they know about the challenges of the participants? That's a good question. Um, but essentially, the answer is there was no, there wasn't a kind of two tier casting process whereby we were trying to cast the main characters and then trying to cast the people they date. We were just casting for people to participate in the show. So it wasn't like you applied to be one of the datees or anything. It was just, would you like to participate in this new show? And then the production team at Northern Pictures went through all the submissions and had, you know, the casting is, of course, crucial in this show and it's a huge amount of time and effort is spent talking to people on on zoom or on skype and on the phone and then actually going to meet them in person meeting their families their support network and really finding out if this person would be able to you know give that level of trust that is required so i guess the the people they date come from that same pool of people who requested or submitted uh, or applied to be in the show. So it's a large pool, and then only five, five, four or five of them actually are the, the A characters, and then we have what we call the B characters, which are those that come on and date them. And then it's a matching process, and we have a, a team of people in Northern Pictures who go, uh, this person might be perfect for that person. We're trying not to be – it's not a matchmaking show. It's about the dating journey of the of the, of the key participants and what they learn about themselves and the kind of person they might want to date. It's not a matchmaking show where you go, would this person work with this person? It's not, it's not quite like that. It's more like let's, it's a character profile piece on the, the main participants and the journey they go on to discover who might be compatible for them. So those, those other, the, those deities are, you know, they're treated to the same kind of support and duty of care that we do with the main characters. Um, and so it, it's extraordinary that we've had virtually no pushback from those characters, either feeling that they were misrepresented or anything. There's a the level of trust that the filmmakers have with the participants, both the key ones and the deities, are, is extraordinary. And they feel, you know, respect and consent is a huge theme. As you'll see, you know, the consent, is, you know, about what you can do on a date and what the other person would feel comfortable with and what they wouldn't be that extends outside of the screen and into the actual kind of casting and ongoing duty of care process that we have with them. Look, this is a, uh, probably the only tricky question I have for you. Um, and it's just an observation that I had, but the deities that were in the show, I was wondering if any of them were perhaps actors um because there was just a couple of them um only a couple i think the first dates with maybe charles and navali they just didn't quite seem genuine was that was that just like my personal thoughts on on that or 
or is there, is there a possibility that some people went on the show because it was you know it's an acting role as well or is that just not possible as far as i'm as i'm aware there's absolutely no actors involved at all that's not something that the abc would condone or uh, approve so no i don't think they're actors at all i'm almost certain that they are not there's no uh, indication to me i think that's just you know you i think sometimes when when the casting is so good you know with like i was saying some of those lines that charles come out comes up with it would be impossible for an actor to come up with those kind of lines it would be impossible for any writer to write them i think you know perhaps because the dates have less focus and less lines you know you can imagine that the sort of shorter responses may you know are the sort of responses that you might resp might write if you were writing a drama but no there's no actors that we specifically make sure that we don't ask for actors this is not the kind of show that the participants are going to go off and get some mm. you know deal with l'oreal or you know any other brand <laughs> after being involved so no as far as i'm aware uh, and i'm pretty and i'm pretty certain there are no actors involved at all no it might have just been a case of the the second dates they had and the ones they ultimately stayed with or or were with for for a longer period of time were just i don't know were just fantastic and it was just a reflection on their first dates but anyway, the, the show is a reflection of everyone's dating experience, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes someone likes, you know, the other more than, than the, you know, the other person likes them. There's happily ever after, and then there's broken hearts. Um, the show reflects all of these things. Um, I'm quite an emotional person and would feel sorry for anyone being rejected. But to have the, the, the sort of challenges these guys have, but are still willing to put it all out on the line, um, and for some still get rejected um, and end up with nobody. It's just really difficult. I don't know if at the end I was more heartbroken than heartwarmed. Um, but was that the point of the show that, you know, this is the reality of life? Yeah, I think um, part of the show is to, is to demonstrate that it is difficult to find a life partner, a soulmate, you know, a romantic connection. It's very difficult. I think that that goes for everybody and especially if you are an adult that hasn't been dating you know for very long you know that idea of working out who you like and who likes you and how that could work when you have little or no experience is extremely fraught it's a minefield out there so the chances are that your first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight dates are not gonna are not gonna work. That's the the law of averages. It's like it takes a long time. As one of I think it's Olivia says, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince. <laughs> you know, and that goes for all of us. You know, think how many relationships you've tried before. I don't know what what your situation is, Aaron, but you know, most of us have had relationships in the past that have not ended up being one that you're permanently in and 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 maybe permanent monogamy is not not the answer either you might want to discover that about yourself too so you know in terms of like the sort of proportion of dates that end up being long-term partnerships is very very small and that reflects reality um and and uh, it, you know all we're really doing is showing people embarking on the date on their dating journey on their on their on their dating life on a romantic life just starting out the navigating of that process and it's a process that most of us spend our whole lives navigating and no one has the most 
no one has the right answers. You, we're all doing our best. <laughs> I wouldn't be a good example. Um, I'd probably be uh, good for the <laughs> show. I've had 23 years I haven't dated. Too scary for me. Um, is that right? Maybe we could cast you for series two. Oh, geez. Is, is there a chance? Oh, that, that was going to be my last question about uh, Better Date Than Ever. Is, is there a chance of a second season? Um, and if I mean, so... I'll have to, I, I've got to give you the, the, you know, the commissioning editor responses. We're seeing how season one goes. But, you know, like, yes, there's a chance, of course. We're always looking at how, um, if shows that resonate with our audience, how we can bring them back. Um, like some of our other shows that I might get to mention, like War on Waste, we're bringing that back for a third season this year. So, yes, um, you know, it's definitely a chance. And I think um, it's the kind of content that we're very proud of at the ABC and that other networks aren't doing and is finding an audience and is of public value. So we're certainly looking at looking at the potential of further series. You're involved in a whole heap of other shows coming up this year um, or are already on Australia's Wild Odyssey. You, uh, you mentioned War and Waste is back, um, back in time for the corner shop. Um, the Black Hand, that looks really good as well. I'll let you touch on um, some of the shows that you're most excited about for this year. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be able to talk about some of our other shows. Um, I'll start, you know, we have a big focus this year on natural history and wildlife and our connection to the natural world. And that's something that's close to my heart. I love, you know, I started my career in Bristol in the UK, which is the centre of natural history filmmaking and where David Attenborough made all his shows at the BBC. So I'm really passionate about new ways in which we can engender and foster a love of our natural world. There is a biodiversity crisis going on, an extinction crisis. Australia is at the forefront of that. We're losing huge numbers of species at a rate that we haven't seen before with habitat loss and destruction and climate change and, in you know, have, uh, human um, impacts, human interventions on um, other species. So that's a big focus for us this year. Yeah. And Australia's Wild Odyssey that launched last week at the same day as um, Better Date Than Never it's just afterwards at 8.30, is a beautiful series that follows a first series from the same filmmakers, Wild Pacific Media is the, is the production company. And two, a couple of years ago, they made Australia's Ocean Odyssey for us. That was the real-life story of Nemo, Finding Nemo. You know, the, yeah. the EAC, the East Australian Current, runs down the east coast of Australia. We told the true kind of story of that current. And now Australia's Wild Odyssey continues the story of the flow of water, but over land in rain and rivers and gorges and the connections that there are, the interconnectedness of species across the Australian landscape. It has some of the most stunning cinematography I've ever seen on the ABC. It really is spectacularly shot with incredible micro detail of different insects. For example, what's on the pads of a gecko and how does it sort of stand upside down? We go into like the super detail of the, the feet of a gecko through to like big picture epic landscapes from a point of view of an eagle as it soars kilometers above on the thermals above the land. So it's it's a story that tells uh, the geography of and the landscape of Australia in a way that I don't think we've seen before. Uh, and a huge amount of First Nations involvement and how traditional owners' uh, knowledge of the land and country, co you know, coexists with the, the the work and the research of modern scientists and ecologists. So that's a really beautiful story, very much an ABC show, but it's mesmerising, meditative and incredibly um, soothing for the soul. That's three episodes. 
the third episode is just knockout extraordinary so i'd urge everybody to watch you can watch them independently you don't have to watch the first two but that's a beautiful series and then beyond that we're doing um a fantastic three-part series on ningaloo ningaloo reef with tim winton the author yeah. So he's not done TV before, and he's very passionate ambassador and protector of that area in WA, Ningaloo, which is up there in um, on the West Coast, about 10 hours north of Perth. Wow, World Heritage Site that's got unbelievable creatures that live nowhere else on Earth except there. So Tim Winton, the author of some of our much-loved books like Cloud Street, and he um, he got, he's... Um, a guide and a narrator and writes the script and he's just got an incredible way with words just a beautiful lyricist so that's a three-part series that's coming um in a in a couple of months and we've got other kind of natural history individual films we're doing one on dolphins and our kind of love of dolphins uh, is our love too deep um exploring what happens when you hand feed dolphins at some of the tourist parks up and down the coast you know, that uh, might encourage dolphins to um, beg for food rather than to teach their offspring how to hunt, which yeah. is having impacts on wild dolphin populations. So it's a really interesting story, again, about the interaction between humans and the natural world. Mm. And similarly, doing one called Platypus Guardian, which is about, you know, a, ma a very unwell man who found a platypus with a bit of plastic around its bill and 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 help rescue that platypus that created a bond between him and the platypus he went down and spent time with it in a way not dissimilar to the oscar-winning documentary my octopus teacher that some people might have seen which is all about a man's connection to the octopus but really it's about human connection to the natural world and when we open our eyes and our ears uh, and actually listen and look and and care for other species and our natural world the benefits to ourselves are enormous and we are another animal species and we need to coexist with all with all life on earth so that's a big theme that's running through a lot of our content um on the abc this big natural history season um and then we got this uh, uh black hand which is a um anthony lapalia the actor who's of italian heritage yeah uh, he's exploring the um italian migrants in queensland and the and the connections to the mafia and how that culture from sort of Sicily and Italy translated to Australia and the impacts of that. That's a very personal story for him. It's a very kind of interesting way of looking at history through a kind of personal lens, similar to how Tim Winton does with Ningaloo. Anthony LaPaglia is doing that with sort of the history of Australian um, mafia, Italian migrant mafia in, in Queensland. So that's a really interesting, another three-part series coming um soon to the abc and yeah war on waste that's been our sort of our big juggernaut it's actually been five years since the second series we did wow. the first series in 2017 and the second series in 2018 it's been five years between drinks and it's uh wow. i know it feels doesn't feel that long does it but oh it said two years jeez yeah, yeah but it's i think that's because the brand awareness is so huge on that show and obviously we felt that after COVID where there was just so much single-use plastic and all those crazy testing kits and masks and personal protective gear, you know, you know, where are we at now? What's happened with our kind of waste crisis? And there's a huge amount of new stories that have emerged in the last few years in that space. And it's just a, an issue that's not going away. Our kind of addiction to plastic is 
a major problem. And it's one of those shows that, like I was talking about before, the audience gets a lot of tools about what they can do, how they can be part of it. It's not focusing on what a terrible situation we're in, but it's focusing on what we can all do, where we can go, what are the answers, not just at individual level, but individual community national and even international level like what are the things that we need to do where do we need to put pressure on government and institutions and corporations but what we can do ourselves and within our own communities and it's a kind of feel-good show it's a it's a heartland abc show of like how do we make a contribution to society but in a way that's funny craig rootcastle the host is a funny comedian he really knows the subject he doesn't take himself too seriously he's a trusted messenger and um that show's going to be a big hit. And it, it it really works across social media platforms. It works across um, our impact campaigns. We do bespoke content uh, around it that's not in the three episodes, but goes on our other platforms. We do podcasts. We do lots of radio. It's one of those shows that all parts of the ABC, kids, education, radio, uh, social, all get behind it and do their own kind of bespoke content that all drives to the same messaging. So... I'm really excited about that one. It feels like that's going to kind of unite the ABC and this big messaging that's um, that's really ultimately really positive and helpful as well as entertaining and fun. Well, what a big year coming up, um, Stephen, uh, the ABC. Um, I think it's really special the ABC is there to tell stories um, in sections of the community that just aren't represented, including with our own beautiful wildlife as well. So... Great job, um, and uh, thank you for joining me and look forward to all of the shows um, in 2023. Thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate the chance to come on and um, keep up your good work too, telling us about all the great TV that's out there. (laughs) Thank you. Stephen Oliver, commissioning editor at the ABC and exec producer of so many of the shows that we love. Uh, Better Date Than Never is up to episode three on broadcast for the ABC, but all episodes are available right now on iview that's it for this podcast for all the latest news podcasts streaming info guides and ratings head to tvcentral.com.au until next time i'm aaron ryan thanks to stephen oliver bye for now